0: We've had quite a few sessions, actually. Um, And uh, we're coming to, I suppose, what has to be key to all this this morning. Uh, Jesus as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, Shall we read a couple of accounts uh, of the experience of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? First of all, from Mark. Mark chapter 14, and verse 32. It's worth bearing in mind where Gethsemane is, as at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and as you write between the Jerusalem Mount Moriah and um, Mount of Olives. Presumably, it will be swept away one day when uh, the Lord returns and the mount of olives splits. But you can still go there today. Olive trees live a long time. Mark 14 and verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul, remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if if it were possible, the hour might pass from him And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And then from um, the Gospel of uh, Luke... In chapter 22. um, Beginning at verse 41. And he withdrew from his disciples about a stone's throw. This is Luke 22 and verse 41. And knelt down and prayed. Saying, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, just those two passages. And we realize they, they chart the way to our salvation, which is through the cross. And Lord, we... Say with the hymn writer, Cecil Francis Alexander, we may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear. But we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Now, Jesus is often referred to as the man of sorrows, um, it's interesting, just a couple of things about that. It's never actually used, that phrase, is never used in the New Testament. It comes straight out of Isaiah chapter 53, I think it's verse three. Um, and it could, as you'll see, if you ever look at that passage, look now if you want, um, mean, rather than sorrows, pains. In other words, sorrows is a sort of subjective response to what the text is saying. It's a man who suffered greatly. It was the will of the Lord to bruise him. But we'll sit with the phrase, the man of sorrows, because it's so familiar, and does indeed uh, express so much of our Lord's life and ministry. But I think we should say at the start that it doesn't characterize everything about Jesus. I mean, some people have stressed it to a point which actually does violence to the text. I mean, we read, and we'll look at this, God willing, next time, in Luke chapter 10, how Jesus rejoiced, exalted. It's a kind of very effusive kind of uh, no-holds-barred exaltation in the Holy Spirit when he prayed for her. his people great joy and um also don't forget that he's compared um with john the baptist who uh you know and, and uh, by comparison people used to call jesus a glutton and a drunkard because john the baptist had a very limited diet and didn't drink any wine jesus did and uh jesus had many Parties with people. So, uh, Benjamin Warfield in this article on this um, emotional life of the Lord that I keep looking back at said in a way, if you want to characterize Jesus, it's more, rather the man of joy rather than the man of sorrows because Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 12, endured the cross despising the shame for the joy set before him. So he's the man of joy. But we cannot let that detract from what it meant to Jesus to live under the knowledge of his impending suffering. Now, there have been those, and in fact there still are, who took the view or take the view that uh, Jesus really, really believed the kingdom would come in his own lifetime and the Jewish people would uh, uh, respond to him. I'm not quite sure how the cross fitted into that, but uh, that's not a, an unusual, it was quite common in the last, in the 19th century, and it still appears today every so often. And so in the sense, he had to come to terms halfway through his ministry, that uh, this wasn't going to be. Well, now, there's no evidence for that, I don't think, at all, in the Bible. Jesus knew from the start that he was going to suffer, Mary was told that a, a sword shall pierce your soul also. But he said, didn't he, right near the beginning of his ministry, uh, when he was criticized, his disciples were criticized for not fasting, whereas the disciples of John the Baptist did fast, and they were a bit of a you know, more sort of a uh, grieving group, as it were. Uh, he said, no, he said, no, no, no. That that's not the time to. Well, you've still got the bridegroom with you. That's the time to, you know, to eat and drink. The bridegroom now will be taken away. Then they can fast. And of course, he was referring particularly to the three days, two two days and a bit, but but three stretched over three days between the crucifixion when they were devastated, uh, to the amazing truth of the resurrection. And the eating and the drinking after that, because course, was full of joy. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus joined them and they didn't know who it was? They said, we'd hoped. Very sad, people say, about Jesus, we had hoped. And so Jesus said, slow heart to believe, all the scriptures say. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer, so to enter his glory. And remember, he was made known to them when he broke the bread. And that was on the first um, day of the resurrection day, the Sunday. And um, that's why. That's very important. And it's very important as we come to, like, next Sunday, when we celebrate the, the communion, and then when we come, God willing, to our new service when we're going to have the agape and the lord Supper every sunday it's actually a time of joy um I, i've told you before about a friend of mine years ago told me how uh he was conducting a few a, a, a communion service and uh, a deacon in the church was giving thanks and he was really exulting in the lord at the victory of jesus amazing so we're just so thankful we just love love you jesus the fact that you bore our sins and conquered death and you did all these things on the cross. And my friend said, then you could see a a religious click is in his brain because you're not supposed to be joyful at the Lord's Supper. So he said, we're not that glad, Lord, because we know you bore our sins and we know it's us that put you there. We know that you suffered so many things. So we're not that glad. (laughs) Now, his... Initial praying was right. His religious response was not right. And I think we've been influenced by, in a way, by the the Roman Catholic tradition of of how Jesus is still still on the cross, as it were. You know, the, the crucifix. I think the reformers kind of banned the crucifix because it no longer applied. Jesus is not on the cross. He's not there with the nails in his hands and feet. And while when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are so grateful for what he did, it is finished. And finished means finished. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. So there's no point him being seated at the right hand of God. Enjoying the joy, and when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're just feeling sad and sorrow and and just nothing else. That's not actually glorifying to God. It's actually not believing the finished thing. So that's very important. And that's why, of course, the Lord's Supper, or the Agape as it became known, is celebrated on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, and not on the Thursday, the day before the crucifixion. That's very important. Uh, S- Sunday is the day of light, the day of triumph. See, even in the sorrow of Jesus, he knew the victory. But we, li- on the other hand, we must not minimize the psychological, and I use that word, as well as spiritual, oppression that Jesus was under before the cross. Now, it says in Luke chapter 12... And verse 50. See. Luke 12. 49. I came to cast fire on the earth. Well, And how and would that it were already kindled. That fire, of course, is twofold. It's judgment... And it's the filling of the Holy Spirit. So that he was anticipating Pentecost, but also the last judgment as well. I have a baptism to be baptized with. Something you have to be immersed into, not a little sprinkling, a little drop of water, an immersion. The baptizer, baptizo in Greek means to push right under to baptize to so put underneath the water, to dip completely. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So Jesus had this great stress, great distress. The word in this sense, suneko sunekomai, is is one of real torment it has a, another sense as well but in this context when it's used like this great great constraint now that's very important that verse because it shows that jesus had that all the time um remember he was he became he was jesus up until his baptism and then he became jesus christ because christos means anointed And the Spirit came upon him to anoint him for his ministry. And you remember, he performed his ministry through the Holy Spirit. The whole of the Trinity is involved in salvation. And Jesus had this unbelievable constraint upon him. I suppose long before he actually went out, to perform his three years of ministry. I mean, when he was th- 12, he was about his father's business. So he must've known it was going to involve great suffering. Um, it's interesting because the so-called hidden years of Jesus uh, come from there to 18 years, really, of 12 years to 30. And uh, of course, the traditions are that he traveled and totally coming here to this country, spending time at Avalon, uh, Glastonbury, or the, uh, as, as it's called. Um, there's also a tradition, he went to India and France. Um, and it's there's a tradition that his grandmother was uh, Bretonic from France. Um, But we don't know any of those things are certain for certain. But what we do know is that in those 18 years, he was being prepared. And I cannot but think that he already knew, since he was being about his father's business, and since he'd obviously talked to his mother about the things that were said at his birth. That he knew he was going to suffer. He certainly knew once he came into his 30th year, whenever it was, for ministry. And he called his disciples. And the last one, it seems to be the last one in order, was Judas Iscariot. And he said to his disciples, You know, after the feeding of the 5,000. Have I not chosen you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? So he knew perfectly well that Judas was going to betray him. And he also knew the form of death. And suffering. That he had to be the Passover lamb. Therefore, his blood had to be shed. Jesus could not have been put to death on an electric chair had they been invented by that time or garroted his blood had to be shed and he knew that from the fact that he was bringing in the New Testament or New Covenant the old one was through blood and um, at the, the at the Lord's Supper which became the Agape the Passover feast he took the cup and said, This cup is the blood of the New Testament. It's going to be bloodshedding that's going to save, shedding of my blood. And of course, we're told in Leviticus, the life is in the blood. And Jesus knew how he was going to be suffer. In fact, of course, he knew the Old Testament. He knew, he was, he, as I said the other day, that he was to be pierced. Oh, this was in the Bible study, wasn't it? Sorry, not on a Sunday. Um, when he returns in glory, we'll still see the wounds in his hands even in the new body. So Jesus anticipated this throughout his life. Now, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine doing that. In fact, may I say to you, I find preaching, what I'm preaching this morning, the most difficult thing that I do. I actually I, I feel a revulsion towards preaching about, the, about Jesus' sufferings. I'm very happy to preach about the cross and the finished work. Love it. Telling sinners, Jesus died for your sins. Just believe that. Everything he's laid upon him... Uh, it's, you've got a complete righteousness. That's just a joy to preach that, isn't it? But actually to focus on the, the sufferings themselves, I find I, I can't emotionally take it. Tell you the truth. Because they were so unbelievable, so extreme, so terrible, so dire, and how straightened Jesus was in the old phrase, Luke 12, until this baptism is accomplished. Jesus knew precisely what was going to happen to him. Can you imagine knowing for years and years and years and years that you were gonna be crucified and still function normally with hope and with joy, serving that you were gonna be laid down on the ground and nails are gonna be put through your wrists and through your feet. And that this this thing would be pulled up with ropes from the, from the back and it would drop down and you would feel the pain and the agony. Knowing that Jesus had three years of ministry and many years before contemplating that fact. We read in, when Jesus came to the, with Lazarus when he saw the grief of um, the sisters he wailed the shortest verse in the Bible Jesus wailed wept, wept the wailing uh, weeping and it's extraordinary uh, how, how he was how it says there and I think Luke 11. 33. When he saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with him weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Now, this same word, terasso, in the Greek is found twice more After that in John's Gospel. If you look at the next one, it's chapter twelve, verse twenty seven. Now is my soul troubled, the same word from that was there, deeply troubled, Tarasso means absolutely, completely disturbed, utterly disturbed. As he, when he contemplated the death of Lazarus and the grief of Mary, it made him weep. Um, he had this word, but it's now related to his own death. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said, it had thundered. And others said an angel has spoken to him. I think you're in the wrong book, Derek. You meant John. John? I said John. Did I not? What did I say? I think you said Luke. Oh, I beg your pardon. No, you did say John as well, actually, because I went to John. Right. Okay. That's John, chapter 12. And then the next chapter as well, verse 13. When he's been speaking about... Um, uh to his disciples he's washed their feet the sign of who he was the master who's the servant and tells them truly i say to you a servant is not greater than his master if you know these things blessed are you if you do them then verse 18 i'm not speaking of all of you i know whom i've chosen but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, so that when it takes place, you may believe that I am he. And then verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus, again, the same word Terrasso, was troubled in his spirit and testified truly. Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So we have this continual sense that the Lord had of the impending suffering, which is unimaginable. I remember reading a story of a little boy looking at the cross and Jesus on the cross in a book. And he said to his daddy, daddy. If God had been there, he wouldn't have let them do that. If you understand the boy's empathy, but in fact, God not only let them do that, God ordained that they should do that in order to bear your sin and mine, your guilt and mine, your punishment and mine. And it made him cry out in the agony of the body and the soul, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was there an actual rupture in the Trinity? I suppose in a sort of theological sense, no. But here was the man, Christ Jesus with a sense of the worst thing of all, desertion by his father. I think Calvin and others take the view that God didn't actually desert him because he was his beloved son, but that's how it was perceived by the man Christ Jesus, the God man Christ Jesus. But the suffering and the wrath and the punishment due to us for our sins was laid on the saviour and jesus knew all of this i would say certainly from the time which he said to his mother and father or joseph and mary i must be about my father's business or in my father's house and he came to suffer the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that ransom involved the awful suffering of the cross and the death by crucifixion and the blood that was shed. Um, I mean, there there are so many words that describe the sorrow of Jesus. I've only just touched on it this morning, really um but he did that for you and for me and his call to us is take up your cross and follow me you can be sure of this that your life following jesus will will you will suffer i mean there's no point in jesus saying that That wasn't the case. In fact, Paul says, I want to know Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ. But he also says, knowing his sufferings, sharing in his sufferings. And as we come out of this lockdown, let's not forget that. Let's not have a a sort of euphoria about anything. It's not that God wants us to be joyless. Jesus was joyful even in his sorrow. But it's serious stuff. I've said to you before, um, and I'll just mention it once more. In that list of virtues, or what a better word, in 2 Peter 1, the last one is add agape to Philadelphia. Philadelphia is, is love of one another as believers. That's natural, supernatural. We love each other this morning. That's not enough. Agape is self-giving love. Philadelphia finds joy in each other. But agape doesn't look for that. And that's, again, why our... Lord's table is called Agape. It's us, the love of God shown to us undeserving sinners and us showing it to others in a way which the world can't possibly understand or experience. So there isn't any other way salvation, but, you know, people think, oh, this stuff about the blood and the suffering, that's very unnecessary. Just believe in Jesus and, you know, his example and follow him. No, no, no. Because Jesus himself said, in the agony of Gethsemane, when he sweat drops of blood, if it, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. His human nature, his fear, if you like, recoiled from it. he said nevertheless not what my will but yours be done and as he endured those sufferings for three hours particularly from 12 to 3 that was the particular time he was paying the price of our sin remember what happened at three o'clock at the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple the priests were there offering a lamb the temple curtain which weighed a couple of tons was ripped from top to bottom. And it was then that Jesus gave up his spirit to his father. But just before that, he said, It is finished. The work is done. So the New Testament, interestingly, doesn't exalt us to sort of be sort of morbid uh or mawkish about the death of Jesus, in the way some traditions and some writers have done it teaches us to be aware of the unbelievable pain and sorrow that jesus had not only on the cross but right through his life but it also the gospel tells us it is finished and whoever is looking on here this morning or sees the recording subsequently let me just tell you that jesus suffered like that so that you won't. Hell is real and eternal and for those who have no faith in Christ that is our that's your destiny because of sin. But God so loved the world I could pay of course that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and that's you And me should not perish, but have eternal life. How does it come about? Through the sacrifice on the cross. The sacrifice on the cross, cross Jesus, incredible agony at the time, and agony in the anticipation of it. But he is now in the joy and seated at the Father's right hand. And he wants us to believe in him. He wants to see his gospel move out. He looks on with compassion at the crowds in our town and through this nation, through the world, as sheep without a shepherd. And he says, come to me, all who labor. Remember, we started pretty early on with this. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me, and you'll find rest for yourselves so come to jesus and he suffered these immense things that you and i might not have to suffer them and that's love thank you michael